Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Cattlecast. Today I will be talking with Suzanne Jarvis, the Editor-in-Chief at BVA. We focus on the different publications that BVA now host, but the ongoing importance of print as ever. As an aside, if you'd like to receive your cattle quarterly either in print or purely as a digital version, then please let the office know. So Suzanne today explains how letters are selected and how the publications work independently of BVA. So then, let's dive straight in. Over to you, Suzanne. Hi, I'm Suzanne Jarvis. I'm Editor-in-Chief of the BVA Journals, which includes Vet Record and In Practice Journals. I've been working at the BVA since 1998 and started there as an assistant editor all those years ago. <laughs> Wow, you must have seen it change over that time, I would guess. Yes, a lot has changed. I mean, I suppose as far as the profession, what you see, I suppose, is the the move away from the truly mixed practitioner. There's fewer and fewer of those now. And, uh, you know, most people, even if they're in a mixed practice, will be dealing with a particular sort of species or area. And I mean, I suppose it's really in the very remote and rural areas that you'll still get those mixed practitioners, but that's an obvious change. Also, I suppose the structure of the profession, uh, again, the independents, they're still there and they're still there in a reasonable good number. But the corporate ownership element was still fairly limited when I started. So that's, again, something that you've seen. And, you know, I think particularly for the cattle profession, it's really interesting to see where that's gone with some of the big corporates, but also people like XLVX and people like that all working together, but also some really good, strong independence there. And you can see that all of that mix really works, I think, quite well for the cattle profession. Obviously, a different structure for the small guys, the small and the companion guys. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess as well as the the changes you've seen from the vet side of things, the changes to your role and being more sort of online based, has that made quite a big difference to how you do your job? Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, not because the idea is still you want good content, quality content, um, and you still want really good people to be producing that for you. So to a certain extent, that never changes. It just depends how you deliver that. And obviously, you just want to look at what's the best way of putting that out for people? Um, and I suppose an obvious example is something like for in practice, particularly, you know, if we've got articles that really lend themselves to video content or something like that, again, that was something we could never do, you know, 20 odd years ago, but that could be a really nice addition to an article. Um, and I think the digital side of things, obviously it means things can be delivered to people more quickly, but the actual fundamentals of good content that's relevant to your readership doesn't really change. Yeah, no, getting that quality there is always key, I guess. It's still, as a profession, we, we like to think we're forward thinking, but there is still that thing of having the magazine sort of in your hand over the coffee break that, that really motivates the reader. Do you still find that? Yeah, very much so, actually. And it's a, something that I think probably, again, 10 years ago, if you'd asked me, I'd have said probably won't be doing print. But I think people really appreciate actually having that time away from a screen. And actually, we've just done some membership survey work with the, the rest of the BVA. And I mean, we were pleased to find the journals were the number one reason people joined the BVA, but also that a lot of them still just use the print issue. A lot of them get it sent home. And certainly, you know, sometimes at the weekend on Twitter, you can see that's definitely when people have taken their time out to have a look at the journals. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's, again, different ways of putting it out there for people, depending on what they want. But I think the print issue 
people like not being plugged in and like that moment. We've had some readers say they like reading in the bath. That's pretty difficult. <laughs> if it's on an electronic <laughs> device, you might drop in there. So, yeah, I think print is here to stay for a good while yet, yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, that, that's good. That's definitely our feel as well with our cattle quarterly is, you know, a few people have asked for it just to be sent electronically, but a lot of people still like that print option. So you mentioned that you've got the in-practice and the vet record. I wondered if you could go a bit into sort of the differences between them how you pick what goes in which one and that kind of thing cool sure yeah I mean probably should just also mention a couple of our other journals online journals where we've got our case reports journal which unsurprisingly has case reports and case series and then we have our open access journal which is vet record open and that's really designed to obviously have open access but gives an opportunity for perhaps people who've got really good solid science but perhaps it's not that novel or it's you know in a particular sort of unique geographic area so it just sort of gives us another place that we can publish you know pretty decent research but just doesn't perhaps have the novelty so yeah for vet record I mean it really is such a mixture we have obviously a really strong research section we have a, a great impact factor for the veterinary arena having an impact factor above two is sort of key and and we've had that with vet record for quite a few years now um, we have a really strong editorial board who are all vets and a great research clinical editor just recently uh, hired Valentina Bussin who um, has taken over from Tom McNelly and uh, yeah really key that we have those vets in place there to help make the decisions on on the research that we publish for vet record the research section is obviously all peer-reviewed but around that we also commission commentary pieces and things like that for the research section we also have a very lively news section um, and we've got a great team Um, people may be aware of Josh Loeb our senior reporter and he's great you know he really likes to get dug into stories and you know investigate things and it's you know really curious and really wants to find out so <laughs> under Josh I think the news has really come on with the sort of investigative in focus pieces that we've been doing I think that's how we can add value with that record you know we we're now gone down to being fortnightly rather than weekly so we can't be timely like we used to be and to a certain extent unless you're a daily you can't really do that so we see the value in getting dug into stories and you know really finding out about them we also have our opinion section in vet record so um, some of that is commissioned but a lot of it will be things like letters that people send in to us and again we're really pleased to find that that's a really lively section and we get all sorts of letters and all sorts of topics it's probably the most tricky section to deal with because obviously we have to be aware of libel and things like that and obviously a lot of the people writing in won't really have thought about that and you know it's certainly not their area of expertise so that can be a tricky area we have to really make sure that that's managed well so that we don't get into problems there But we do want people to write in and, you know, we're happy for people to be a little bit controversial as long as it's on the right side of legal. (laughs) Really good, I guess, getting those letters in shows that real engagement. They're not just flicking through it, but they're actually reading it, taking time to actually respond. So that's really good if people continue to to make those comments. And I think, you know, it shows, again, that idea of people wanting to correspond with their profession and be in contact with, you know, other people and, and get their views out there. So, we're you know, we really want to facilitate that. And that's really important that we keep those conversations going. 
as well in vet record another section that is really popular is actually the obituaries that my colleague Jill puts together and they're really nice you know tributes to people in the profession and it's amazing (laughs) what people have done both some people you know have had incredible careers that are really eminent but then you get the practitioner who's that's what they've done from the start but equally amazing their career, you know, and the the things that they've put into it. And I think it's really nice, again, to have those kind of tributes to everybody working across the profession. And uh, I think that's why it's so popular that people really enjoy. And again, sometimes that snapshot of something that's sort of gone a bit when you get some of the older um, people appearing in the obituaries, that life that has perhaps changed somewhat, you know, it gives you an idea of what it used to be like. Sad part of the thing to pull together, but actually, again, can be seen in a really positive viewpoint and trying to be that inclusive. You know, it's not just the eminent scientist or the practice owner that maybe a lot of people would have heard of, but just that day to day vet that just did their job really well. Yeah, and I think that's it. And, you know, it, it is sad. And obviously, you know, with the profession, particularly with the amount of suicide sometimes that we have. You know, you can see that coming through sometimes in the obituaries, you know, and that does make you stop and think a bit. But I think, again, particularly for, you know, the people that have had really good long lives and been really successful, not so much sad. You just sort of, you know, wow, what a life they've had, you know. And uh, I think that's why the obituaries are so popular, because it sort of touches people in all sorts of different ways. And I say it can be a really nice tribute to people's lives. So, uh, yeah, we're very happy to continue to do those. and. So say my colleague Jill does a, an excellent job of getting those together and getting them right for the, the families and the friends that have written them. Aside from the obituaries, you said some of the different sections. Um, yes. Cover. How do you actually choose a piece and then what happens with it after that? Yeah. So, I mean, for example, our career section at the back, let's just choose that. So what are we looking for? We'll tend for those to be commission pieces. So we're just looking for a variety of content. We'll discuss in editorial team what kind of content we're looking for. Sometimes when people are out at events, they might see someone speaking and yeah, great. That might make a news piece, but also you might go, actually, that person would be a really good careers piece for another colleague. So we work together very much as a team to sort of think about how all of that works together, slots together. Obviously, as I said, the peer review section, the research section tends to be submitted. So that comes into us. That's the vet record. And we make the decision, obviously, based on the peer review process there. We're editorially independent of BVA. So we act completely separately to BVA as far as commissioning content, do our own thing, which I think is a really healthy place to be because we're not having to always sort of refer back to what's happening within BVA. Obviously, you know, we work closely with them on certain areas. You know, if if BVA have got particular topics coming through that are going to be of interest, we make sure we talk to them about that. But as far as what we choose to publish, it's down to us and the editorial team to decide that. Obviously, we've got in practice, which is a different beast again. And that, again, very much reliant on our great clinical and the board we have for the the management, practice management section. So, you know, that is aimed at the first opinion practitioner. And we're really always looking to mainly commission those pieces. Again, people may send us ideas and synopsis, which we'll review and decide if we want to take forward. But that's where that board really comes in. You know, they'll be talking about what do they think the first opinion practitioners are wanting to be seeing who are the best people to write it and uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without them for sure Um, and I think that's what keeps 
in practice so focused is that you know great veterinary involvement that we have there so you were saying there how you are independent from the BVA, but obviously the, the publications are the benefit as such. Does that take any view on the controversial areas that, that come up and how they're covered? Or is it just down to the board themselves? Yeah, I mean, really, it's to a certain extent down to me <laughs> to decide what we do as far as, you know, I'll take definitely the board's view and I will take the view of other team members. But, you know, I've got have to decide whether I think something's suitable or not. I mean, I think with controversial subject, as I say, we will act completely independently of BVA, but we don't want to just be controversial. But I mean, our advisory group do are very keen that we are questioning of things and that we do perhaps support voices that maybe wouldn't necessarily be published elsewhere and that kind of thing to make sure that we get a really informed and wide debate on things. As I say, we don't want to just publish something because it's controversial. We do feel that it's got to serve a purpose. Is it going to be interesting to the readers? Is it going to be informative? Is it going to be helpful? All those things that, you know, we want to look at. And, you know, if there is something going on out there that is tricky for the profession, Should we shy away from it? Probably not. You know, you have to address these things sometimes. As ever, we've got to be fair. You've got to make sure that you give people rights to reply and that kind of thing. To say you've got to make sure that it's legal, what you're publishing. I don't think there's a value in shutting down a certain debate. I think it is only healthy to have those debates. And, you know, we're keen to do that in the record, certainly. And with those debates, obviously, it's a bit of a topic by topic, it would probably vary. But would you ever <laughs> think of that sort of over a, a number of issues to put forward different viewpoints? Or is it normally within that one issue? How do you go around planning these sort of events? I mean, I suppose a lot of what we're talking about would come up as news pieces. So they're not planned in that kind of we're going to go out and commission something on, say, I mean, obviously, bovine TB, I suppose, for the cattle people is something that would probably be considered controversial in some aspects of it so the news elements obviously come up by themselves and we will pick up on those and say possibly we'll do further investigation but we would you know look at commissioning pieces around you know opinion pieces and things like that if we think it's got value and again for example in practice we're just commissioning some pieces around bovine to be at the moment but probably less controversial for in practice they're obviously designed to be more helpful pieces um you know around tb consultations and you know badger vaccination trials and all that kind of thing you know practical things that people can do and get involved with so i think it's that idea again of with a controversial subject what is going to be helpful so element of it will just come to us it happens we'll report on it and then from that we'll usually pull out other ideas that we then commission content for yeah so that one-off sort of controversial issue is dealt with in the news section then it's for you to have a bit of time to pull together some other supporting things to then put forward to the, the practicing vet and how they can actually deal with it in their lives I guess Yes. And I think also, you know, it's just interesting to see what has been, I suppose, considered controversial (laughs) that maybe can be surprising. I mean, last year, I mean, a lot of your listeners may have been aware of a 
column that we published from a vet nurse talking about veganism and whether it was possible to be a vet and be vegan or work in the vet profession and, and not be vegan. Obviously, it was an opinion, but a lot of people got very heated about that and whether we should have published that or not. You know, so I think it can be those kind of things where I feel there's a, perhaps a misunderstanding of what we are and what we're doing. Like I say, we're not representing, say, BVA's views. We're here to represent the profession more generally. So someone in the profession has that view. A number of people in that profession has that view. We should give them an opportunity to express it. And then if people, you know, want to counter it, we're very happy to, you know, publish um, those counter arguments. But uh, just pretending that view isn't there, I think, again, isn't very helpful and, you know, needs debate and discussion in the profession. Yeah, no, definitely allowing everyone to have their voices is definitely fair, but it's how you then, I guess, go, you can't just, as you mentioned with the letters, you know, it has to be, you know, not just libel and other things can be thrown into it. So it's just, you need to balance up, I guess, other people's views. And sometimes, as with most things, the view of the masses can sometimes get missed unless they are engaged enough to, to respond, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's it. With opinion, it's always really interesting because, you know, if it's someone's opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't, you know, legalities around it that we have to think about. So we do check those pieces very carefully. But, you know, if it's a general view that someone's holding, then uh, usually it will be all right to go ahead. It's usually if they're being particularly critical of a very particular organisation or a person that you would start to get into trouble and difficulties with being able to publish it. That's why I guess you do that job and it just shows, you know, just this conversation, how how difficult that aspect of editorial, I guess, is. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose, again, libel law, I think, is really interesting. I could go on for hours and hours, but, you know, a lot of people don't really realise it's not actually to do with truth. It's to do with reputation. The whole idea of libel is have you affected someone's reputation? So, for example, I did a training course a few years ago and the lawyer had been contacted by the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, because a paper had published something that he said was untrue, but said he would never win a libel case because he has no good reputation. So I think it's really interesting, that idea of libel and what it actually is and that sort of understanding of what it is. <laughs> yeah, it can sometimes get quite tricky, but we uh, we managed to navigate it pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, no, that definitely does sound like a whole different uh, kettle of fish compared to that. I'm sometimes pleased just to be on farm um, PDing cows most of the day. Um, okay, so there's a bit about, I guess, once you, you've either asked for somebody to write a piece or you've got one sent in, how it can naturally grow and, and I guess continue over a few number of um, pieces there. What else is sort of in it for farm vets as such? Why should they be flicking through and... Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're very aware that readership wise, the majority, particularly in the UK, will be small animal vet. You can't ignore the other sectors and you have to make sure that you have a good variety of content in each issue. You know, we're never expecting someone to read cover to cover unless they're, you know, very particular kind of person. But what we hope is each issue of both vet record and in practice will have something of interest for those, you know, the cattle vet or the equine vet as well as the sort of small animal guys who obviously, I suppose, again, if we look at in practice, we will tend to have two or three companion articles in each issue and then fewer of the equine and the farm. 
just to and that does to a certain extent demonstrate the readership but we would hope that say a cattle practitioner would pick up vet record or in practice and find something of interest each time and we are always very much you know thinking of that again when we're doing our content planning have we got a good spread of, of topics I mean, to a certain extent on the news side of things, it's sometimes the, the farm side that sort of comes to the fore at the moment. I mean, obviously, avian influenza is a really obvious one at the moment, not cattle, but definitely, you know, a farming story. So, you know, these really big sort of government type stories quite often have that farm animal angle on them, which, uh, you know, means, again, something for Josh to get his teeth into. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess some of those are sort of predictable, you know, sort of roughly when they're going to hit, but a lot of them do just come out of the blue and it's ebbs and flows of what happens with different species, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's things like, you know, the antimicrobial reports and things like that. We'll know they'll appear at a certain time. Obviously, we have a sort of network of people that send us press releases and let us know. But we're also really keen if, you know, someone has something that they think is of interest not necessarily they want to write about it, but just to alert us to it, think it might be news, you know, we're always really happy to to hear from people. So yeah, I would encourage people if they they have a good news story, let us know, Josh will get on it. <laughs> no, that, that's uh, really nice. I guess that engagement with your readership and that being open to if they've got anything going on or if they've got an idea of what an article, I guess, could be to, to let you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had a couple of really good news stories recently that sort of came on the back of vets contacting us, actually sort of writing in letters. And then we were like, actually, this is, you know, needs a little bit more. And we turned them into news stories. So, yeah, I think, again, we're quite good at sort of thinking of other sections within the journals so that if something comes in, you know, it's interesting, perhaps not quite right for that, but can we repurpose it in another way? Um, similar, you know, we have like our, you know, products and inf- services information. It sounds quite boring, but I think, you know, particularly if you're you know, needing to keep stock and uh, know what's coming up, particularly with some of the issues there's been recently, actually, that's information that's really interesting and useful for people. So all of that kind of thing. We'll find a place for it if we think it's of interest. <laughs> I guess that just shows that the depth across the different publications that most things have a space somewhere. So what are the future plans then? What's coming up? What else can your readers expect? Yeah, well, uh, we're just currently doing a journal survey at the moment. So we're always keen to hear what people want to, to know. When we do our redesigns, we do a lot of work on, you know, what the readers want unsurprisingly I think so many of your listeners you'll find probably the typical reader is time poor wants to get to things quickly so you know something that we instigated a few years ago and we'll be building on is the idea of the sort of pull out boxes the what you need to know those kind of things just so that people if they've just got that moment to quickly flick through they can get to that information really clearly and quickly we will be looking at our digital offerings at the moment it's quite sort of a bog standard research journal type offering that we've got on the digital side Um, and we feel there's quite a lot of opportunity there to develop things in more interesting way for people different kinds of content delivery but as I say keeping that quality keeping that interest and uh, looking how we can develop that a bit more we're keen to keep the the veterinary voice there so I mean it's an ongoing issue but keeping the editorial boards lively we invite visitors and guests to our editorial boards to make sure that we you know have that changing voice sometimes 
And I suppose, again, just look at the profession generally and, you know, where their stresses and strains are. So, again, those sort of helpful pieces um, and, you know, things around well-being and things like that. There's certain groups that probably aren't interested in that, but it's quite nice to have that moment, just perhaps take a time out from the actual day to day of the vet profession. I mean, the other thing we're really keen to progress and sort of working in collaboration with a lot of people is the evidence based medicine side of things. Obviously, being journals, we feel like we contribute to that already, but there's more we can do and there's more we can do to help support other people um, with that. And I think, again, particularly on the practitioner side, sometimes I think practitioners feel it's maybe not quite for them. You know, it's for the researchers, it's for the academics, but actually where it's happening in practice is really important. And we're really keen to always support that. Part of the reason for the vet record research is that will it change practice? Can we make a difference with that research to actually improve things for the animals that the vets that we uh, are serving, you know, are working on? So, uh, yeah, we hope people find that there are things that publish that make them think again, perhaps look at their own practice and, and you know, look to perhaps do audits and things like that and, and change how they do things. Yeah, I guess the one time I, I found it, you know, really essential was when I was doing my certificate just for that reason. And it really makes you question that evidence base that you, you think you're doing. But when you actually got to write it down, it sort of brings it to the fore of your mind a little bit. And it is definitely one of those places you can easily dip in and out of when you're finding just those quite specific papers and, and pieces. So that, that was great from my point of view, at least. <laughs> I think the trouble is, though, you know, she find there are great big holes in the evidence. Um, so quite often, you know, vets do have to sort of find their way a bit as best they can, really. So certainly, you know, I think sometimes people feel that the evidence side of things doesn't take in that idea of people's experience and expertise. It certainly does. And sometimes that's the only thing you've got to, to back up on. So I think particularly for the first opinion practitioner, there's still quite a lot of more probably gaps than there are for the sort of referral and specialist type people where I suppose a lot of the research will end up you know being being done but again I mean it's great to see the the cattle vets in practice you know they really do get involved in research I think in a lot of ways that perhaps doesn't happen in the small animal context quite so much you know the idea of herd health and all that kind of thing is you know there's so much data being generated and you know if people can help generate data to help others I think yeah great why not really for the benefit of all (laughs) yeah no it's interesting I guess um, I've been farming now for over 10 years and it is that idea of you know evidence base is is really strong it's all about the health of the the overall herd I guess you quite easily forget the the individual you know the the pet owner just bringing that one pet wanting the best for that one animal you can quite easily forget where I'm from which is all about that herd and group approach yeah and I think you know there's definitely different challenges and you know you can see I mean the antimicrobial sort of mentioned it but you know the farm vets and the farmers themselves are doing really well with that to a certain extent the small animal need to catch up a little bit you know but it's because it's a different structure there's different ways that it works obviously there's not assurance schemes and things like that in the small animal side of things so you can see why you know that pressure perhaps isn't there in the same kind of way but you can see things are starting to change you know we're rumor now sort of bringing that through into the small animal side and I think we will see improvements there 
and what will happen with undercare and <laughs> that's obviously yeah. the next thing coming down the line so you know we're just trying to work that out ourselves what the consequences of that as I'm sure a lot of other people are in the profession so but again yeah. you know, I think there's really interesting things for the farm vets and the cattle vets isn't there you know you've got your huge practices that big clients with a lot of money wearing a lot of wearable kit they get a lot of data out of it and then perhaps these sort of quite marginal rural practices that and farmers that will perhaps struggle with some of you know that that investment maybe but I think particularly with the animal health and welfare pathway that's quite an interesting idea as well isn't it with the idea of you know encouraging vets onto farm and then perhaps this undercare taking people in another direction so we'll have to watch this space I think won't we and see what happens <laughs> yeah no it definitely seems to be a time of, of different approaches and it's how I guess like anything in changing times is how we use those opportunities and best run with them. Um, as you were mentioning there with the whole antibiotics thing, I think parasiticides is going to be the next big group to be hit. And I can definitely see the, the different approaches that farm and small will probably take to that with the different risk aversions, I guess, of the, the clients they have. Yeah. And I think with the parasiticides, you know, again, thinking of some of the research that we've published in Vet Record, particularly, you know, for the farmers, you know, there's a, I think, a willingness to do the right thing, but they don't always quite know what that right thing is. So there's definitely a place there for the vets to help them. Um, obviously we don't want these products to get the parasites to become so resistant to them that they don't become an option. You know, so it's crucial that we sort of maintain their value and their them as a treatment option. So I think there's definitely willingness to try and get that to work better. And obviously with the VMD consultation as well, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, I think changes there on sort of the environmental side of things. Although, again, obviously for the farm and the companion side of things, that's done slightly differently. So, uh, again, another watch this space and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like plenty to go on, and I'm sure you. Got... We're never, we're never short of things to to write about. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, another thing I guess driving that quality is the competition between everything. So you've got plenty to pick from um, coming up. So thank you very much. It was great to hear those views. Thank you, Suzanne, and ever more the importance of engaging with the readers and listeners. So please do let us know if there's anything you've heard on this podcast or others and let the BCA notice. Also, if you've been reading any of BVA's publications, then please let the team there know. So until next time, thank you for listening. Goodbye.